This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey there, stackers. Welcome to Wednesday got a great show today, but I think it's different enough than our normal show that I should introduce what the heck's going on. I went to an event called Camp Fi, and Camp Fi, Fi short for Financial Independence, is a Friday through Monday camp out. We actually left fairly early after breakfast on Monday to head back to the airport. This one was outside San Diego, but uh, the founders, Stephen Boyer, holds these all over the United States. And if you ever wanted to dig into the world of financial independence, and even more than that, what does this money thing really mean? It's a combination of speakers. I happen to be lucky enough to be one of those speakers at this particular camp. I was the closing speaker, Uh, collection of speakers, breakout sessions, and just camaraderie with like-minded people. It was super fun. It was a great dive. There were people from their 20s into their 70s at this event. And you're going to hear from some people today in different stages of their life with some amazing stories. And by the way, the stories were all around you. These are just the tip of the iceberg. So if you want more, it's at campfi.org. And so a few things. Number one, we're recording this in front of a group of about 25 of the 65 people hung out with us to listen to and participate in the recording. We also did a live trivia game different than what we're playing today and generally had a lot, a lot, a lot of laughs. And you'll hear many of those here. I also feel bad. I did not know that Cynthia, who we'll talk to about her debt payoff story, has a blog and also has some links. So check out Cynthia's links, not just in our credits today, but also in our show notes. All right. That's, I think, enough in the way of introduction. We're just going to dive in. Doug, over to you to kick this thing off. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Doug, here alone at the mic table, where I've set up my sofa cushion fort because everyone else went to Camp Fi. You ever think you're living in an unwinnable financial disaster? 
Well, Joe went out to the people with Doc G and found some stories that will blow your excuses away. Think you have debt? Oh, we've got stories of big debt. Think you've waited too long to start saving until retirement? How about waiting until you're 50? Think you can't afford to travel? Think again. But that's not all. Joe will send it back here to the basement for a whale of a trivia question about the one and only Moby Dick. And now, let's throw it out to two guys who are definitely glad they're not here to see what I'm wearing today. Or not wearing. It's Joe and special guest co-host from the Earn and Invest podcast, Doc G. Yeah, hey everybody, welcome to the Stacky Benjamin Show out of mom's basement, which is weird for us. I'm Joe Salci. Hi, I'm Joe Money on Twitter. You are Doc G. Yes, I am. And we are so excited to be here at Camp Fi Southwest 2021. Make some noise, everybody. Okay, so let's talk about so far. Um, I came in here and I hadn't drank anything the first night. So you didn't snore. I didn't snore. Now, of course, I know I didn't snore. No, no, Joe, you didn't snore at all. <laughs> and, and, but, but tonight, as soon as this done, it's board game night. So because it's board game night here at Camp Fi, uh, I plan on having some of these. So good luck with that, man, because I'm going to snore my head off. Yeah, and you guys may not know, but I'm actually physically allergic to board games. So Joe has made it his quest here at Camp Fi to make sure I play as many board games as possible. I have. He's going to play a game called Acquire, whether he wants to or not. We're going to have a good time. Hey, speaking of good time, we've got some amazing guests here. We've got, we've got so many cool stories. Becky and Steve, in just a second, are going to kick it off. But first... This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. And now a word from our sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? You want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Well, don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment's the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal, rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line, and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words... Your money's breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money in the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. All right, now we can kick it off. So let's get this party started. I'm so excited. We have our first guest, and these are people that I've wanted to talk to for a long time. Becky and Steve, how are you guys? 
Doing great. I'm doing great. So when Camp Fi starts, everybody stands up one at a time and tells kind of their money story and people tell different stories. And when you stood up, I think it was Steve, was it you that, that, that spoke first? Yes. I think so. And Steve, you said you didn't start working on retirement until what year? Yeah, it was age 50, so it would have been 2008. Yes. And you retired? The end of 2018. So 10 years from zero to completely done. Net worth zero to retiring fairly comfortably. Can we talk about the beginning there? Why, why not start until age 50? Other priorities? Other not important? What was going on? We were stupid. <laughs> There's a lot of that going around. There is, there is a lot of that going around. So who was it that said, you know, it's about time? I don't know that it was sort of an emotional crash. I mean, things worked fine for us. We, we had decent salaries and things were working until they weren't. And when they weren't working, then it, it got really bad really fast and it got very painful. So basically... What do you mean by that? Paint me a picture. What was going on? Stephen had um, been working for himself at home, and that had been going fine until uh, a particular big event in his business happened. I didn't get paid. Oh. Yeah, he had con- that's, that's kind of a big event. Yeah. He had so con- it's Friday, and your paycheck didn't show up? Well, it was, it was a client that quit paying me, and then when I finally realized what was going on, he was into me for about $50,000. Oh. And at that point, we were buying groceries on credit cards, and everything was crashing around us. Yeah, so it, it was just, it was not pretty at all. I was very petrified. I, I was just scared to death. And Stephen was in a place where he was feeling like a failure, feeling like he had failed his family, he couldn't provide. And so it just wasn't pretty. And it it reached a point where it almost took our marriage down. Steve, tell me about that moment. Because there are a lot of people who get to this point, right? Maybe they're in their 40s, maybe they're in their 50s, and something bad happens. And the truth of the matter is, there is a segment of the population who gives up. And then there are people who do what you did, which is say, okay, now it's time to get to work. What got you to that point where, as opposed to kind of sitting down and giving up, you said, we're going to make this work? That's a good question, and I honestly don't remember what turned us around, but I do know that when we were in our darkest hours, we had um, church family, we had neighbors around us that were supporting us in ways that we never dreamed we would come home and there'd be an envelope full of money. Your community taped, knew you were having trouble. Ta- yeah, taped to our, our garage door. Um, you know, we had friends that would sponsor our kids to go to church camp or summer camp and things like that. And eventually, you know, the Lord got a hold of us and turned us around. And, you know, we found Dave Ramsey. I know everybody kind of disses those guys a little bit, but... I I don't know. I think there's a big part of our audience that does not. That got us turned around big time. We literally started listening to him on a set of cassette tapes that somebody gave us. And eventually checked out some his videos from a church library close to us. And we eventually started teaching the class. And Wait a minute. You went from being students of the class to teaching the class. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Big time. And... Because we, you know, it turned us around. Completely. What was your first move? Was it the baby step, get, get money in an emergency fund? Mm-hmm. That was step one. And cutting up the credit cards and getting out of debt. One of the things that helped a lot was 
Stephen went back to a W-2 job. And he had reached a point where he was afraid that no one would hire him because of his age and because of, you know, what had happened with his business. So he really almost felt like there wasn't anything out there for him. And a a gentleman that was part of a a business mentor group, I believe they were called the Silver Foxes, but it was a business mentor group. That's what they called me. (laughs) Well, Cheryl calls me that. One of the gentlemen from that group was talking to Stephen and sort of encouraged him that, yes, he was still employable, and he actually helped him find a W-2 job. So at that point, when we had a a steady paycheck coming in, then that helped a lot to give us a feeling of stability. But a lot of people have steady paychecks coming in, and they're doing nothing with it, right? I mean, they're they're really not. So did you use a system like, I know Dave Ramsey has every dollar, but there's YNAB, there's Cube Money, who's a sponsor of our show. There's all yeah, these different... Back then, those didn't exist. Yeah, just like envelope method. It was a, a mind shift, you know, an attitude shift towards money. And that's a big part of it is, you know, you make your mind up that I'm going to treat money differently. And that's a big part of what worked for us. And then we did the envelopes, you know, for budgeting. We did the budgets. We stuck with it. What did you cut? We cut everything that we didn't have to have. Yeah. Give me Uh, some examples. Oh, gosh. Story of the kids on the steps is the best one. Well, that's true. What's that? You put your kids out on the steps? (laughs) That's we, a, we, put, we put it for sale. I had on those days. <laughs> I've had those days, but I don't think no. child protection services is not your friend at that point. There were times when we would sit the kids down and say, if you can't eat it, we're not buying it. So don't ask. And so, I mean, literally, we cut down to the bare minimums. We bought gas, we paid the bills, and we bought groceries. And I literally had white envelopes in my purse with cash in them. Now, most people, you know, even back then, I, I would have people say, aren't you scared to be carrying that much cash around? I'm like, no, it's, that's not that big of a deal, you know. So we went back to basics and just started taking those small steps to try to make something better for our future. So, Stephen, tell me when financial independence came into view, because it sounds like you started with Dave Ramsey, but... You progressed to start thinking about the FIRE movement. How did that happen? In 2017, our oldest, Stephen, said, you need to listen to this podcast that I've been listening to since the beginning of 2017. And it was Choose a FI. That's the wrong title. You meant Stacking Benjamins. (laughs) (laughs) Right. That's right. I slipped you 20 bucks before you came up here. So we basically binge listened to those guys. It was the beginning of when they were doing their thing anyway. And, I mean, we were like going to graduate school in finance. And we were like, this is exactly what we needed five years ago. But now we have it. So now we have an idea of what we need to go forward with. And at the time, I was in a nice paying job. And I had found my dream job. And so I had a pretty big shovel that I had been given to, you know, start saving. And, but we knew what to do with the money. Yeah, you did shovel then. We did shovel. Yeah. And, you know, we cash flowed three weddings, three college educations with cash. And the kids graduated school with no debt. 
which they all really appreciated. I mean, they learned yeah. all about that. How great is that, by the way? Isn't that awesome? <laughs> and at the end of 17, we, say we divorced our financial advisor and put everything into Vanguard. Took a tax hit the next year, but that was okay because I recouped it in six months. And in the spring of 18, I told uh, my fellow principals at the architectural firm I worked at that I was retiring at the end of the year. Bam. Bam. That's fantastic. So here we are. Yeah. If you've got one piece, before we let you go, if you've got one piece of advice for people that are sitting in that place where you were when you felt like it wasn't going to turn around, what would you tell those people? I would tell them that it's not too late, that there is hope. If you find yourself later in life and you haven't made good decisions like we've had, you may feel like there's no hope for me. I'm never going to make it. Well, you may not retire as comfortably as you would like to, but every good decision that you start making today is going to help your future. Every dollar that you set aside is going to help your future self. So it may not look as rosy as you would like, but you can definitely improve on where you are right now. It just takes a change of mindset, and it takes in- intentionality. Paying attention. I love that. Yeah, we made good salaries, and we had some nice stuff. We just didn't think past today. We never thought about what we needed to do for our future. And so when the big event happened, we had no safety net. We, we literally fell off the financial cliff. Becky, you've got a blog now. Where do people find you? At www.startedat50. <laughs> Started at 50. Great name. Big ham for Stephen and Becky, everybody. <laughs> Isn't that inspiring? I just think that for so many people out there, I've heard this say it over and over again, is I didn't get started early enough. And when I hear their story about starting at 50, it makes me realize that that's just not true. You can start at any age, and for some people, financial independence is the goal, but the truth of the matter is, you can get better anytime, and tomorrow can look better than today, regardless of what age you start at. You know, Tony Robbins has a quote that I really like that they encompass, which is that the past does not equal the future. And it really is between our ears that we can make a change. We can just change it. We wake up the next day and we will do things differently. And they had the ability then later to have the shovel, but you still have to shovel, which is, which is great. And the cool thing about that is, you know, it's always the question of what changes your mindset to go from it can't be done till, to I know what the first step is. And I think they're a great example of getting to that point and just making that first decision of how to begin. And letting it roll. Yeah, good stuff. Well, so we're going around the circle of people again. So back to the beginning of Campfire, we're going around the circle. And there is this woman who's talking about Bali and talking about (laughs) Thailand. She's talking about living in all these cool places, uh, working in international teaching. And we had to hear this story because so many people that listen to the show wonder, you know, whether whether it's during my, quote, retirement years or right now, can I do it? And what are some of the problems with it? Amy joins us. Big hand for Amy, everybody. So Amy, I've had this discussion, I feel like a million times. People tell me that when they retire, when they reach financial independence, they want to go travel the world. They want to live in Thailand. They want to live in Bali. 
you didn't wait and you decided to go to those places right away. Tell us about it. How did you make that decision? Why go at the beginning of your career? Well, honestly, I studied what I loved, which was history. And getting a bachelor's degree in history didn't give me a lot of options. And my sister had taught abroad in Taiwan teaching English. And so I got a job in, in Japan teaching English. And I thought it would be abroad one or two years. My aunt said one year max, like she loves her mama. So I planned on one or two years and I, it opened my eyes to the whole world. And I learned about international teaching. I could go back and get my teaching certificate and my, my master's. And then I could go and work in international schools. So really, I just planned initially for a couple of years. And I stayed in Japan for, got my master's and, and just started teaching internationally. So once I saw how amazing the world is and started traveling, I really got bit by that travel bug. Describe the first few weeks. I mean, you're in a foreign land, you know, you may have language issues, you might not know where to change your currency, and you're at the beginning of your career, so it's not like you have a lot of fuel. Was it difficult? Not really. Like, it was, I remember my, like, telling my mom that oh, maybe I'll be depressed, maybe I'll get lonely, maybe it'll be really hard when I go over there, and thinking, like, you know, should I take some St. John's word? Should I take something? You know, because you don't know, right? And I got to Japan, and I just remember looking, you know, in Tenjin, and looking at all the lights, and just being so, like, amazed by the country. And I didn't really have a context for it. This is 2001, so I didn't really know that much about Asia in general, and all the different Asian countries. But, I mean, I felt like I went abroad on this jet program, the Japan Exchange Teaching Program, and the Japanese government flew us over. They provided housing. You know, we worked in Japanese high schools. So it was so fun. Like, before every class, they'd all stand up, shitsure shimasu, hai! And the whole class would stand and bow at me. I was like, this is cool. OG does that before we record in the basement. Oh, I would like that. Little known, little known story. Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing like having a class full of students stand and like bow to you in unison. So, I mean, it was just such a cool cultural experience. And luckily, I was living in a big city where there was a lot of other foreigners. So I really felt like I had a lot of support. And I could see, you know, maybe if you were posted in a small town, it could be harder. But I loved every minute of it. But what about the locals? You've got the expat community, but how did you interface with the locals? Was that more difficult? I didn't feel like where I was placed, it was. Honestly, I mean, Japan is not really that rural compared to the U.S. Yeah. There weren't a lot of foreigners in my prefecture, but I was in the, the capital city of the prefecture, but I was still kind of a local celebrity. So everywhere <laughs> I went, people were wanting to take pictures of me and, you know, come over to my house for dinner. Like everybody wanted to practice their English, especially if they had a few like cups of sake or, you know, yeah. at the party, like suddenly their English would come out if they had a little <laughs> bit to drink. But everybody was inviting me over to eat and wanting to talk to me. So I felt really welcomed. I, I, yeah, I had a great experience. What about, you talked about being close to your mom. You're halfway around the world. How did that affect your relationship? And because you've stayed abroad for long periods of time, how does it affect it still today? Yeah, I mean, my mom came twice to Japan. And she loves it. It's still her favorite country that she's ever visited. So it was wonderful. I, she was able to travel there. So I've lived abroad for 20 years. So when I went abroad, she was 60, and now she's 80. So now she's not able to travel as much. But, you know, she also had a lot of great experiences. And my sister came, and my dad visited me many times in Asia. I had a lot of school holidays. So when I came home, I had a lot of quality time. And I was coming home twice a year. So I still felt like I maintained a close relationship. My family wasn't very tech savvy. And at the time we weren't doing, you know, FaceTime or anything like that. But um, I called home a lot. 
So we are here at Camp Five. This is a financial conference. Tell us about the financials. Was it lucrative to live outside the United States? Yeah, I mean, the job in Japan, I was teaching ESL, so the you know, housing was provided. I think I saved $20,000 in four years, which wasn't that much money at the time. It was a lot. Um, and it, I saved it to go back to graduate school, and I traveled for a year before I went back to graduate school. So I backpacked around Southeast Asia and India, which was really, really cheap. I was like a budget traveler <laughs> at the time. Um, but that was 2005. You know, it was a long time ago. Um, so $20,000. You know, it wasn't a lot of money, but it, it helped me to, like, pay for my graduate school partially. So, For people that want to do that budget travel, any beginner tips? Um, I mean, I used to bargain and really stay in some not-so-nice places. I've always been a, a saver, and that comes from some scarcity. And my family had money initially. Like, my dad had a good job. He was a, an attorney. But then my parents divorced, and my mom and I didn't have much money when I was a teenager. And so... I really learned how to save my money. Like I had to buy my first car. I had to put myself through my, my bachelor's degree, pay for my rent, pay for everything um, when I was in school. So I was a really good budgeter from a very young age. What about like currency exchange or, or paying taxes while you're abroad? Well, generally, if you don't make over a certain amount of money, you don't pay taxes. You know, there's a Foreign Earned Exclusion Act. It's the 2555. You can claim exclusion on your foreign earned income. So you're not paying taxes on that income. Yeah. And then changing your money over? I mean, changing the money over is no problem. I just, yeah. I mean, sometimes like depending on the school I've worked in, some schools have paid me in dollars and they've sent the money direct to U.S. bank account. And sometimes I've been paid in the local currency or a mix of both. And so, yeah. As you were talking about your parents and this idea of scarcity, I heard your voice crack a little bit. Do you think that played into your decision to become an expat, to move outside of the United States? I think initially I was just going for the adventure, honestly. Um, I think that it really served me. I did have a core wound around money and a fear of your money situation can change overnight because I saw that with my own childhood, like we had money and then suddenly, suddenly we didn't. So I always had this sense like my money situation can change overnight. I just need to save. Um, so it was a great gift actually. And I'm so, you know, I'm very close to my father now and I really thank him for that because paying for my first car, paying for my, you know, my bachelor's degree and working to pay my rent was a gift to learn how to budget. And I took school very seriously when I was paying for it. So. Isn't that funny how you paying for it changes everything? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Amazingly. I I studied, I went to class. (laughs) I seriously, when I was on a scholarship at the Citadel, my grades were not that great. When I transferred to Michigan State and uh, Spartans won today, by the way, uh, when I (laughs) just had to get that in. For the record, yeah. uh, we do win some games. But w- when I transferred and I paid my own way, all of a sudden my grades were straight A's because I knew I was there. Yeah, definitely, yeah. And then I think once I also, you know, teaching ESL in Japan, I'll probably, you know, an answer to your question, Dr. G, was I, I knew that I could make some money abroad teaching ESL, but then when I learned about teaching internationally at international schools, that's when I really thought, ah, that's the better ticket, you know, because... As a teacher, it's hard in the U.S., you know, to make ends meet, to save money. I got this sense, talking to you this morning, that you really have a plan now, and you're, you're going to settle down a little bit and be, hopefully, in a place kind of permanently over there, if not permanently. 
Yeah, I love Asia. So I've, I mean, I lived there 20 years and I, I bounced around. I mean, not quickly. Every place I lived, I was for four or six years around that time frame. But when I moved to Bali, I really felt like that was home. And I found a community of people that I love there. And as much as I loved international teaching and as much as I loved living abroad and doing that life, when I, I took a two-year sabbatical, well, a one-year sabbatical that turned into two. <laughs> Weird how that happens. Yeah. And um, I, I just found a life that was even better than international teaching. I was so inspired by the community of entrepreneurs and digital nomads there. I felt like, you know, I'd done a lot of traveling and traveling on my own, backpacking around. But, like, I realized I really love a routine. I love waking up in the morning, going to yoga, having a pet, you know, having a community, not having a surface-level conversation with new travelers every single day. Yeah. It wasn't about traveling anymore for me. It was really about living in a place and having a really good quality of life. And it wasn't very expensive. And it's a beautiful place and beautiful people. So Back when I was a financial planner, you'd keep asking people, Doc G, about their goals until you hit on one that you knew was the real goal. And did everybody see Amy's face light up when she started talking about Bali? Like, does anybody doubt that that's the real place she wants to go? Like, her face just changed. And you'd see it in these meetings. You're like, yeah, I want to retire someday. Yeah, I want to. Oh, but I really want that boat, you know? And what I love about the story, too, Amy, is that um, it sounds like you grew up with some scarcity. You found your way through that. And when you did, you started looking at what your life design you wanted it to be. And clearly, it was moving to Asia but it's not like it just stopped there. You kept evolving. So you found first teaching ESL, right? And then after teaching ESL, it was the international schools. And now it's entrepreneurship. But it sounds like you found a way to grow and evolve in this place you wanted to be, as opposed to feeling more of the scarcity mindset, which would have told you, no, I can't do that yet until I get to a more stable place. Yeah, I had a lot of fear. I mean, that childhood wound, like it served me to a point. And then I hit that wall of fear. And I did the one-year syndrome, and I, I really had to work through that. And I, I was super happy in Bali, and I went back to a job because of fear. And I was miserable <laughs> initially. Like, I cried on the whole plane ride from Bali to Bangkok um, because I was only going back for the money. And, I mean, the job is actually a pretty good job in a lot of ways, but... You know, when you've lived your best life, and life is so short. Like, that's what I see. You know, like, seeing, you know, my parents' health changing and just realizing life is so precious. Like, we've been given this one opportunity. Even though you can have a really good life and a happy life, like, live your best life. And, and I found that, and I knew what that looked like. If I would have moved from New Delhi to Bangkok, I would have loved it, international school to international school. But having two years in Bali... You know, being able to choose how I spend my time, being location independent, time independent, not being tied to a school schedule anymore was a gift. I think that's the lesson, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Big hand for Amy, everybody. Thank you so much. Thank you. How great is that? I mean, it's just inspiring. It, It just goes to show you that Uh, We can have these wounds, and yet we can heal from them, and we can learn from them. And, you know, you do have to take into account that life can be short, and sometimes you have to make the right decisions now. Nike had a uh, phrase that they used before they had just do it when I was was a kid. And uh, I remember 
in a Sports Illustrated issue seeing this, and it became my mantra. And I real and I know why Nike got rid of it because it's it's a little clunky compared to just do it. But it was more about what Amy was saying, which is my issue, which is feel the fear but do it anyway. And I love that for me, feel that fear but do it anyway says so much, just so much. Well, now we're going to talk about some just amazing debt payoff stories. We hear both of these stories, and uh, I think this is going to be fun. Everybody welcome Crystal and Cindy up to the mics. Hi. Or it's Cynthia. I'm sorry. Cynthia. Thanks uh, so much for having us. <laughs> Crystal, you paid off how much debt? $90,308. That's all. Just 90000 <laughs> 308 not seven, but eight. Eight. Yes. Yes. And what type of debt was it? I had a car, a massive amount of student loans, and a credit card. Wow. And Cynthia, how about you? Thank you for having us. And I had over $100,000, more like $110,000. $100,000. About. I was going to say, not $100,008 specifically? (laughs) Yeah. And and what type of debt was it? Student debt. Grad school. Grad school student loans. So let's talk about, Cynthia, while you have the mic, was there a time when the debt felt really overwhelming and you, you thought that there was no way? Because that's a, that's a lot of debt. Constantly, just throughout the whole entire process, just oftentimes overbearing, and it came in waves. For some people, there's just a low point where you realize that I've got to start turning the ship around. Kind of like Stephen and Becky were talking about, right? Was there a point that you remember where you said, you know what, I got to get moving on my debt payoff? Looking at it overall just did constantly make me sad. However, it wasn't a nice bearable spreadsheet. But there was one point where I realized I wasn't making a very big dent in paying that debt off. And I do remember it was about six years ago, sleeping in my car at nighttime and then waiting for a 24-hour fitness to clear out before I'd go in and exercise a little and then take my shower. Were you, you were living in your car? Yes. I lived in my car for about three months, and I had a job working in a nonprofit to, for sustainability and just doing what I cared about, passion to save the world and help others with a sustainable seafood, but... In reality, I had all this debt, and I wasn't doing a very good job financially in paying my debt off. So it was a hard choice, but somewhere in there, I realized I needed to do this, and I need to see it in a frame of this is an adventure, and it needs to be done. Otherwise, I would have had to pay my bills with credit cards, and I knew that that would be a spiral, and I didn't want to start going into that area. So for three months, I sucked it up, made it adventure of it. Um, I had one friend that had done it before, too, so I didn't just do it jumping in, diving in. I I did some research and, you know, safe places to do it because I am a small female. I'm I'm Asian, so it's just not something that I I was going to take high risk and, like, die for it. I was going to make it adventure and research it first. I want to hear more of that story in a second, but Crystal, some of the same questions. Was there a time when it felt overwhelming and you thought that there's no way you're going to be able to make it out? For sure. Um, I was pretty (laughs) head buried in the sand for a long time about my debt, but I think the tipping point was my car lease was up, so I had to figure out what am I going to do about a car. So I went to the dealer and, you know, they had to pull that credit report. And he slid it across the table, and I saw just how much I owed on the paper, and I was afraid. I 
took it home to my boyfriend and I just cried to him. Because oh, I, at the end of the lease, you were going to have to pay this money. Yeah, to pay the money or figure out what I was going to do about a car. Oh, man. So that was the tipping point Do you point remember how much me. money it was? Uh, that I owed on the lease? Yes. I think it was about $11,000. Yeah. So it was a mess. <laughs> I remember on a car loan back when I was in a very similar spot, I remember a friend telling me when my car died, he goes, dude, they give a car to everybody. doesn't matter how bad your credit is. I found out they don't. They don't. Yes. And we had to do all kinds of stuff for, to get a car to drive. So that was the turning point was sitting there in the dealership. What was your first move then? What did you do? So what I did was like probably not smart move. So I leased another car, but I realized quickly, okay, I've got to make a plan to pay this thing off. And that's when I got into Dave Ramsey, my boyfriend. Dave bought, Ramsey yeah. again comes up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I got Financial Peace University for Christmas that year and I just dove in head first. Yeah. And then step one, was it like Stephen and Becky, the, some money in emergency fund? Yeah. Save a thousand dollars. Yeah. And what does that do for you? Tell me what that did to your psyche when you all of a sudden you now have $1,000 in a savings account. I realized I had never had that much money saved before. So it gave me a little bit of confidence to know that, okay, I can do this. Let me just keep chugging along. Yeah. Now, Cynthia, for you, first step in the plan to get rolling on the debt. Did you change your income? Is that what happened? My mind shift, not my mind shift, the way I thought about debt had to change. And also at that time, like I was also listening to Dave Ramsey and that's how I began my financial journey. But how do I say this? He was great for figuring out how to get out of debt. Later on, I did have to change my mindset and how to earn more money. But what really changed was realizing that I had to hustle and start killing and destroying that debt and just start carving away at it. And that's when I started so many side jobs in the Bay Area. Lyft driver, I have my own business. I had, I think, five jobs at one point and just hustled and hustled. Cynthia, did people, your family, your friends, did they know what was going on? Not many. And I don't hope, I mean, <laughs> no, not many people knew. And I know that some people I could have just like dug in deep and just really gotten help. But the people that were closest to me, they themselves were not in a great space to help me out. And part of me knew I needed to do this for myself and succeed for me to continue on my financial journey. I'm going to ask you this, Cynthia, and then I'm going to ask Crystal the same question. Was there shame? There was some embarrassment. I don't know, like deep shame, but I didn't want to broadcast it because it is my own debt. I got myself into the situation. I decided to go to grad school. This is not someone else's responsibility to dig me out. So I wanted to tackle it on my own. Crystal, tell me about this idea. Was there a feeling of shame when you took a look at that credit score? Oh, absolutely. There was deep shame. I was embarrassed. I just, you know, I'm a pretty intelligent person, but I just couldn't believe that I had ignored the facts for so long. The next transition that I see people have is once the debt's paid off, keeping that momentum, right? Because both of you probably got to the point where you had some pretty kick-ass momentum going. And then changing that from... Uh, payoff debt mentality to now saving mentality. Did you struggle with that at all? I think for me, I'd lived so frugally for so long paying off the debt that I realized I wanted to invest in myself a little bit more. So on my bucket list this year was one, pay off the debt. I did that. Two was coming to Camp Fi. So I've... <laughs> um, 
Then I started. So you can be yeah. on the Stacky Benjamin show. Hundred <laughs> percent. Yes. I also started taking guitar lessons. So just doing things to invest in myself. But also, it's amazing to know that the money I was sending to Great Lakes is now coming straight to me. So that's so awesome, Cynthia. How about you? Things did turn around. Last year, I paid off and was net zero in August of 2020. So that's exciting. And my mind shift for hustling has changed as well. Instead of thinking, what else can I do to penny pinch? I've focused my energy to how can I increase my income at my professional job? And now I'm next thinking about potentially getting my first home, which is something I wouldn't have seen coming having lived out of my car. That's so, so great. That's different. What a change. I want to follow up when you talked about getting more money at your job, because studies show that bosses say in these studies anyway, that they would give you more money if you would ask. Did you go and have to ask for a raise? Yes. And throughout COVID, there were times where the job I had, we would get overtime, but I had to ask for overtime. And being more fixed, not fixed, having the mindset of fire and reminding myself that this is where I want to be, financially independent, instead of, I want to be great at my job and I want everyone to love me, I would make the effort to ask for that overtime. And that's what got me to here. And you got it. Aren't those great stories? (laughs) Thank you, Cynthia, Crystal, thank you for hanging out with us. Stackers, I'm noted indoorsman and highly respected survivalist, Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And I didn't get invited to Camp Fi, which is just Camp Fine with me, because I'm doing my own campy stuff right here. Got my s'mores in the microwave, uh, started building a campfire in the backyard again, even though Joe tried to hide the matches. It's called a step stool, Joe. Don't take no rocket surgeon to figure that one out. And what's campier than Joe's mom's scary stories about her hair removal regime? And besides any of that, I get some alone time to finally read. Speaking of, did you know that Moby Dick came out today in 1851 when Joe's mom was just in middle school? It only sold 3,700 copies in Melville's lifetime, the same number of copies that Joe's going to pre-order of his own book, Stacked, Your Super Serious Guide to Modern Money Management, coming December 28th, available for pre-order now. But let's tie Moby Dick to today's business world. How about this question? Which coffee chain is named after a character in Moby Dick? I'll be back with your answer after I eat this s'more. Well, Stackers, if you pay off your credit cards every month like you should, Navy Federal Credit Union likes to reward their members when they responsibly use their credit cards, OG. You know, getting those points on the credit card, if you pay off your credit card every month, why why wouldn't you do it? No shame in my credit card point game. No shame in my game either. You know that. <laughs> You can also earn up to 1.75% cash back in all purchases with their cash rewards card when you sign up for direct deposit. When you use the Navy Federal mobile app, you can redeem your rewards as soon as you earn them. And there's no annual balance transfer foreign transaction fees. Plus, different than a lot of cards, your rewards never expire. Learn more at NavyFederal.org. That's NavyFederal.org, insured by NCUA. We all have smartphones. And we all know they're pretty amazing, but they can also be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. Oh, God. 
So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right. U.S. Cellular, a company that sells phones, wants us to put down our phones and to see what we find. Learn more at uscellular.com slash built for us. Stackers, I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, just sitting here sipping my off-brand pumpkin splice latte. It's a lot cheaper if you get it from the corner store. Sure, you know, tastes like cardboard and desperation, but it's still oh so good on a cold fall Texarkana day. Speaking of cold, it's getting cold in here now. Temperatures plummeting all the way down to the 80s here in Texarkana. Better put some more copies of my first book, Love Letters to My Portfolio, right on top of the fire there. But back to another book that didn't initially sell, Moby Dick. This sad little book that only sold 3,700 copies out of the gate has now sold more than 50 million copies. So did you figure out which coffee chain named itself after one of its characters? Nope, not caribou coffee, though if I recall, there was a caribou on that boat. In fact, didn't like Ahab put two of everything on that boat? And it wasn't Pete's, though there was probably a dude named Pete on that boat. I mean, look, I've watched Wicked Tuna. There's a Pete on every fishing ship. Anyway, back in 1971, an English teacher, a history teacher, and a writer started a coffee roasting business in Seattle which he nearly called Pequod, the name of the whaling ship in Moby Dick. Instead, he settled on the name of a crew member and called it Starbucks. You know, Starbucks, a.k.a. the reason millennials don't own homes, a.k.a. the reason you're not a multi-billionaire. This company put over $23 billion of your hard-earned money in their pockets last year. That's why I'm sipping my pumpkin splice from the gas station not catching me in that trap. Let's pass it back to Joe and Doc G at Camp Fi for more campy goodness. See ya! Weren't those stories fantastic? Oh my God, they're amazing. And I can chart the difference in the Camp Fi's every year. So I've been going now for four or five years and... Just the varied stories amaze me. Before we start that, because I I want you to tell us how it changed, let me just tell you my first impression, which is bunk beds are badass. (laughs) (laughs) But besides that, I I was amazed when Stephen, who puts on this amazing event, went out in the middle of this group of people. I thought we were going to have people talk for like 10 seconds, like uh, stand up and go, hi, my name's Joe. Uh, I have a podcast. See you later. Right. And it was going to be that, but people are telling these just amazing stories. Like the sharing that's happened here in the first 24 hours I've been here has been amazing. Yet the amazing thing about Camp Fi is that it is a place where vulnerability is fairly acceptable. So you have a bunch of people who have discovered what they think is this amazing thing about understanding their own finances, they're into financial independence, and they go into their own communities and try to talk about it, and they get blank stares and looks. People don't want to hear about it. How many t- I heard that a ton. Yeah. Like, I want to be around people that have these same thoughts that I have. By the way, I was here for 10 minutes, and we were joking about Roth IRAs. Yeah. I was like, these are my people. Yeah. No, it was a good Roth IRA yeah. joke. And then they get here... And it's like all of a sudden, they're surrounded by people who kind of 
get it. Yeah. And so what happens is those wounds that we all have, they come out because all of a sudden for the first time, you're surrounded by people who are interested, who are like you, who feel like your people. And so it's a place where vulnerability becomes the norm and deeper conversations happen. So how's this changed over the past four or five years? Not Camp Fi, but just the, the even, well, Camp Fi and the fire movement in general. Where, what do you think? I think there's been an amazing evolution of financial independence. For one, we just don't talk about retire that much anymore. Um, and that's been happening for years. But the variety of the people and their stories has grown. So back when we first started doing this, you wouldn't see people who were talking about starting in their 50s. You wouldn't see people talking about, I decided to forego the high income and move to Bali. You wouldn't hear these kind of stories because not that they weren't out there, but it hadn't really become part of this movement. So the movement has grown from, let's make as much money as fast as possible, quit our jobs, and then do whatever we want, to saying, let's take this knowledge and this shift in mindset and use it to do what we want now and yet still be financially savvy and build a stable future. I thought that Michelle Jackson today put a nice point on it with her presentation that there's really different ways to slice this. I mean, get where you want to go fast, but really her, her whole thing was enjoy the ride, right? Because we don't know what's going to happen later, but we're seeing people, I think, go, you know what? I don't have to do it the way that the original 5, 10, 20, 50 people did it. I can carve my own path. I think there's this real dichotomy that we thought was a stark dichotomy at the beginning of this conversation, at least for me at the beginning of the conversation, which was really in 2015, 2016. It was either you were on the YOLO bandwagon, you only live once and so you're frivolous, or you were on the delayed gratification bandwagon, which is work really hard, grind it out, maybe not enjoy yourself now, but you will eventually. And what the change is, is that we're realizing it's not a stark dichotomy at all, that there are shades of gray, that we can both enjoy today as well as save and be savvy in the future. It reminds me there's, you know, growth funds, but there's this strategy, growth at a reasonable price, right? I feel like what you're saying is fire has become like YOLO with a reasonable money management system. <laughs> Yeah. Right. And, and the definition of reasonable price, what you just said, varies from person to person. And that's what we really see in this room today is for each person, the reasonable price is different. And so their path is going to be different. Yeah. Yeah. Your big takeaway uh, so far from Camp Fi? My big takeaway is that even though personal finance is personal, even though we all do things different, there are common themes and the two big things I think that really change are the big game changers is one is the change in mindset, going from this can't be done to I can do this. And then the second is if you surround yourself by a community of people who understand and support you, just about anything is possible. And I think every person here, the varied stories, I mean, what did we just hear? I was living in my car. Yeah. I was 50 years old and hit rock bottom. I had these wounds from childhood and yet still took off and experienced the world. And that's the tip of the iceberg, by the way. The stories we had up here, we've, we've been hearing those all day and we're going to hear more in the next 24 yeah. hours. Yeah, and, and yeah. I think given the right fuel and the right support, 
uh, you can do amazing things. And that's what you all have shown me over and over again. And it just amazes me every new campfire I come to. Well, thanks for doing this with us, Doc G. Uh, you're at the Earn and Invest podcast. What's coming up? When are we airing this? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Since we have no idea when we're airing this, what is coming up is that we are going to continue having these next level conversations, sometimes with panels, other times with individuals. But we are really exploring what happens when you figure out the math, when you learn the tactics, and then have to figure out how you want to live your life. So what should we have learned today? Yeah, sure, Joe. Why don't you just keep on like hanging out in hammocks and communing with raccoons or whatever you're doing over there at camp. I'll tell everybody what they should have learned today. First, it's never too late to start digging yourself out of a financial disaster or have your first camp out, even if you're alone and prone to nightmares about Joe's mom's mustache. Second, think you're too old to start or it's too late? It's never too late. In all of those camp movies, the good guys never get out until the last minute, and you're the good guy in this story, so go get your goal. But the big lesson? Never microwave a marshmallow, unsupervised, in your friend's home. And then definitely don't try to clean the microwave out in the bathtub. That's just a free pro tip from Doug. To learn more about our guests and for more resources, you can head to our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. A special thanks to Cynthia, Becky, and Crystal for joining us today. You can check out Cynthia's website at localgrownsnacks.com. Check out Crystal's journey at redesignpossible.com. And Becky's blog can be found at startedat50.com. Big thanks to Camp Fi founder Stephen Boyer for asking Joe to come to Camp Fi and for allowing us to do a live show. To learn more about Camp Fi, go to IHateTheGrid.com or just go to CampFi.org, which is probably a more real website than the first one I said. This show is the property of SB Podcasts, LLC, copyright 2021, and is created by Joe Saul our producer is Karen Rapine. The show is written by Joe and Doc G from the Earn and Invest podcast. After you listen, check out our show notes page written by our website manager and blog editor, Brooke Miller. Brooke and Joe also collaborate on a guide to the show and with lots of extras we couldn't include on today's podcast. Heck, they'll also throw in some life money lessons from Joe and it's all free. It's called The Stacker, and you'll find it at stackingbenjamins.com forward slash stacker. Once we get all of this goodness bottled up, it goes over to our engineer, the amazing Steve Stewart, who helps the rest of our team sound nearly as good as I do right now. Want to talk about the show later? Mom's friend Gertrude is the room mother in our Facebook group, The Basement. She also is our social media coordinator, so say hello when you see us posting online. Here's a weird fact. She and Tina Eichenberg are never in the same room at the same time. For a URL that'll take you right to our Facebook group, by the way, type stackingbenjamins.com forward slash basement. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, reminding you in the words of Stephen Wright, if at first you don't succeed, then skydiving is probably not your thing.
Welcome to the after show. It's always fun doing the silence live. The after hour show. Yes. This is the part of the show that doesn't exist. For those of you that haven't ever seen or listened to a Stacking Benjamin show, what happens from here on out, we don't talk about. All right? It won't be in any show notes. People have had to tell some stories of things that happened during the after show. If you do that on social media, just call it dessert. All right? So... I got to tell you what I love about this, and and you brought it up earlier, which is that we've all done some pretty dumb things with money. And what I love when you said the word vulnerability is that we share some of those stories, but some of us maybe, and I'd love to get your stories if you have them, have done like some really dumb, hilarious things with money. So while you're thinking of yours, I will start. And this is a little bit of a long story, so we might spread these out over a few different after shows. So here's the, uh, here's the setup. I'm at Michigan State. I'm paying my own way. I'm working three different jobs. And I'm taking on, and I got the student loan debt. But I really, 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 really like this woman, this young woman. I'm the boys track coach at this middle school that's local. She's the girls track coach. And we started dating. We've been dating for a little while. And it's getting serious. And I decided that I was going to invite her to go to Chicago with me. And I took all of the money that I had, and I found this really kick-ass boutique hotel uh, just north of Rush in Division Street, if you're familiar with Chicago, where all the bars are. Yeah, they call that Viagra Corner, by the way. (laughs) Viagra Corner. They do. Why do they call it Viagra Corner? Because it's well known for men of a certain age driving nice cars with women of a certain age that is not the same age as theirs. I was... (laughs) Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, I wasn't there. I was like 24. And Cheryl was maybe 22 then, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, so I am I'm very excited because this hotel, I don't remember how much it cost, but I remember I was used to stay in it like, you know, if it had the word super and eight, it was probably too expensive. But I'm, I'm all excited. So we pull up to this hotel there's a valet and I see how much that costs. Like, I'm like, oh my God. And already I'm in over my head. And we go to our room and we open up the door. And this room is different than any hotel I've ever been in. There are terry cloth robes. Kind of, kind of like here. There are, <laughs> <laughs> and bunk beds? As, as long as you brought it. Yeah, there, no, there's no bunk beds. Yeah, one star, no bunk beds. There's slippers. But the most badass thing is we're getting ready to go out on the town for the first night. Cheryl goes into the bathroom to get cleaned up. She comes back out, and I've got a Bud Light and some macadamia nuts. And she's like, where did you get those? And I said, well, this is amazing. There's this refrigerator over there. (laughs) And it's stocked with all this great crap. Like, it is amazing. And she goes, I think you have to pay for those. (laughs) And I said... I don't think you know how much I paid for this room. <laughs> I, I don't think you knew either. <laughs> so, then, so then she sits down, so that she sits down next to me, and there's, there's like a football game on TV, and uh, I grab her a beer. And so we have this great pre-party, and we go out on the town. And we come back, and not only are there like little mints on the pillows, but they've restocked that damn fridge. <laughs> So the next day, we're getting ready to go to the museum, so I pull out drinks, and I pull out, you know, candy bars, get all that stuff. Of course, we get back, restocked again. We have the best two days, like just these magical two days, and, and it was just a phenomenal, phenomenal weekend. 
So we're getting ready to check out. Sadly, I'm, I'm old enough that it was before the pre-checkout. Just call in, leave your stuff. You had to go down to the front desk and check out. So uh, we pack our bags. Shell and I were like, this is just a phenomenal hotel. It was a phenomenal weekend. We had a blast. And we get our suitcases and we go out the door to the hotel and we go all the way down to the elevator. Cheryl gets on the elevator and all of a sudden I realize, I'm like, go ahead and go downstairs. I'll be right back. She's like, where are you going? I go, I think I forgot something in the room. So she gets on the elevator. I go back to the room. I unlock the door. I go over to that fridge. I take my suitcase. I unzip it. I put it against the fridge and I take my hand and I put everything in the fridge in my suitcase and I zip it up. And so I go and I'm like, this is, this is great. This is, I mean, if they're restocking this thing, I'm going to get all of it. So we go down to the checkout line, and I'm in the world's longest checkout line because everybody's checking out at the same time. And I wait, and I wait, and Cheryl's over there and looking at me and watching as I'm in this long line. And I finally get up to the front, and the nice woman goes, did you enjoy your stay? And I said, this is the best hotel ever. Mm-hmm. Like, this place is amazing. And then she, she said, oh, that's great. Did you enjoy the minibar? And I'm a very polite person. So I, what I wanted to say was, whose business of yours is that? It's not your And I said, well, yes, I did. Very, thank you very much. And she reaches underneath the counter, and she slaps this piece of paper on the thing, and she said, well, we have your purchases for the first two days. If you could just check out everything that you, that you took since then, we'll just add it to your bill. And I look at those macadamia nuts... <laughs> And I see the Bud Light, and I'm looking down the list of these just absolutely insane prices, and I hear this guy behind me, because he's been in line as long as I've been, right? And he goes, (coughs) and I just kind of look back, and the woman leans forward and goes, everything okay? And I go, yeah, it's all right, it's all right, and I look at my bag, (laughs) and I'm wondering if I can ask for the key back, right? And I look at the bag, and I kind of look at the guy behind me. I look over at Cheryl, and she's going like this, like shrugging her shoulders, like, what's going on? And I look back at the woman, and I look at the prices, and I look back at her, and I said, I had all of it. (laughs) (laughs) And she leans forward, and she goes, excuse me? (laughs) And I go... Yeah, I had all of it. And she was super professional. Like, her mouth only went like this for a second. Mm. And and she goes, very well, just sign the bottom and we'll add it to your credit card. And this was back in the shaky Joe, didn't know what he was doing with money days. And I'm just like, please go through. Please, God, go through. And, uh, yeah, I realized, Doc, that that minibar wasn't free. You know, if you go to Mexico... It is free? And you get an all-inclusive room. Oh. You can have as much out of the minibar as you want. I think you might have paid for it with the all-inclusive words. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Dumb money? Dumb money story? Did you make it? I don't know if I had anybody. Does anybody got a... I was dumb. Amy's got one. Okay. So I have a dumb money story about love as well. (laughs) So I spent many years single in Asia. And finally, I met a guy. I really, really liked him. And, you know, I was traveling in Europe over the summer, and I was traveling with my girlfriend, and I got to talk to him kind of irregularly because we were 
traveling around. And then I was about to get on a cruise with my family. And I had one night where I could call him. And so we had an Airbnb booked. I went to the Airbnb, no Wi-Fi. But we were supposed to have a video call, and I was going to be on a 10-day Baltic cruise, and I knew there was going to be no Wi-Fi on the, on the ship. And, you know, so I had a little bit of time because we checked in in the afternoon, so I went around to all the, like, cafes in the area in Denmark and asked, no Wi-Fi anywhere. Well, I thought, how much could it be, right? right. How much could it be? You know, you just, like, I had a cell phone that I had set up with Wi-Fi. I was working in India at the time. I had data from India. Like, you know, it's the signal up to a satellite yeah. calling a phone in India. Can't be that much, right? We talked for one hour video call in Denmark. And it was my last chance to connect with them for 10 days. So I really wanted to have that chance. And I remember the next day, like, then my family arrived and, you know, I got to see them. I hadn't seen them in a while. I imagine at this point you kind of forgotten about it then. I kind of forgot about the yeah, call, right. right? Like, no big deal. One hour call. I really liked him. It was all worth it. Like, maybe it would cost $30, like I was thinking naively. Like, I can suck it up. One hour video call. <sighs> okay, so the next day, I remember I was sitting waiting to get on the cruise, and I got a text on my phone from the, from the cell phone company I had in India. You won't even guess how much it was. You can't even imagine how much it was. <laughs> like, no one even gets close to how much it was. $28. <laughs> it was so much. Sounds like a trivia question. It was so much. We should have, we should I mean, have had that, Mark. I was, have totally been the trivia I was, question. I was so shocked. I was so shocked. It was, you, okay, it was 28 hundred dollars 28 no lie 28 hundred dollars was he worth it (laughs) no he was not worth it and i literally got this text before i was getting on this 10-day cruise around the baltic and i was i was so shocked and i had no time to like call the cell phone company and my sister like i would have called him and said pay for it My sister, the whole cruise, she was like, do you realize that you could pay for three cruises for the cost of that phone call? Do you realize? And then she was always saying. Thanks for rubbing it in. Yeah. She was like, she was trying to make me laugh, but she was saying, do you realize that this is like, you know, a tenth of the cost of my car? Do you realize that this is like one year, you know, it has so many credits of university. Oh my God, she's got the hammer. I know. (laughs) I know. She really rubbed it in. But it was, I mean, that was the like dumbest ridiculous for nothing. That's a great story. Yeah, stupid. Thanks, Amy. Really stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Anybody else? I'll note that at the end of Joe's story, he actually eventually got married to this woman. So (laughs) That's right. There was a happy ending. There was a payoff. Yes. Mm -hmm. Oh, we got one more. uh, What's that? Uh, You know what's funny is I blocked it out, but I I think it was like $280 or something. Yeah. (laughs) So, like, one-tenth of <laughs> How can we know the microphone over there? Andrea. Okay. Um, when I was in college, one of the reasons that I chose the college I did was it had an amazing study abroad program. 
And one of the things I've shared a little bit uh, with people here at Camp Fi is that I totally want to travel like everywhere. So this was obviously something from before I started college. Well, when I was in college, I dated a guy and it was right before I was at the point in school where you would typically go on your semester abroad. And he was like, but if you do that, we won't be able to communicate. And I was like, you're right, I shouldn't go. (laughs) So I didn't, but that's not actually my dumb story. You would have thought I would learn from that, that, you know, that relationship didn't work out. So I should have learned, you know, don't change your plans for a guy, (laughs) never. So don't change your plans for a guy, guys, or girls, don't do that. Um, But the dumbest part is the next relationship I was in, um, his parents helped do a down payment for a condo that was going to be in his name. And I was at a point where I was receiving some benefits that were paying for education as well as a housing stipend. But the housing stipend was more than my share of the rent when I was living with his parents. But that was why they were giving us the down payment to like get out of their house. But it needed some work. So I had all this money saved, and I was like, oh, well, this is supposed to have been rent money, but I wasn't paying rent to your parents with it, so I can help you furnish and, like, fix part of the condo that we are now going to move into together. And that was about $14,000. Oh. And that is not my husband today. Oh. Hey, Joe, you know what this is? I think that's board game time. It's, it's beer number three. <laughs> All right. On that note, thanks, everybody. Goodbye, everybody. All right, we're going to do a trivia challenge. We need three volunteers to do trivia with us. Who wants to, who wants to win some swag? What's the question? <laughs> that's half the fun, Mark. Who wants to? Andrea's coming up. Flynn, and we need one more. Nope. Even though he's wearing the University of Michigan stuff. What's that? Just at the last second, right? I got got my wife texting me. You watching this? Yeah. We're going to ask a trivia question, and then we're going to go in order, uh, and you're going to try to answer it. If you've never heard our trivia questions before on our Friday show, our Friday show, our contributors, uh, our normal contributors are Paula Pant, Len Penzo, and OG, my co-host, and then, well, different, (laughs) that's that's right. We're we're not going to take it that deep, Mark, yes. But we ask you a question you probably won't know the answer to, and then whoever's closest is going to, is going to win. So you guys ready? Okay. Lots of Fire Principles are based on Vicki Robin and Joe Dominguez. Classic book. Nice job, team. Your money or your life. And I lost my place. (laughs) And uh, where is my place? Come on, here we go. When Joe began, he was giving seminars based on a program that involved how many steps? Say your name and then give us your answer. Flynn, and I'm going to go with seven. Seven steps. Andrea. Andrea. And ten. And? uh, Ben. And Ben. All right. So you got seven and ten, Ben. Uh, Four. So you think it's a a four-step program. Ten-step program. Seven. And a seven-step program. All right. 
Flynn, you kicked it off with seven. You're squarely in the middle now. How are you feeling about that guess? You taking home the swag? I think I got it. It's in the bag. Oh, that's... <laughs> wow. Uh, Andrea, ten. Seven wasn't enough? I'm so embarrassed because I just read the book. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, did they talk about the number in the book, though? I don't think they do. I don't think they did, so I think you're okay. okay. You gotta look. And, and Ben, you think both of them were high. Well, yeah. I don't mean physically. I mean it's their four. numbers were high. <laughs> it's four. Yes. It wasn't a guess. It was, four. it was four. All right. All right. Here we go. Everybody ready? Uh, uh, from the peanut gallery, what do you guys think? Who's, who's going to win this? Wait a minute. Let's do this. Is Flynn going to win? Yeah. Is Andrea going to win? Yeah. <laughs> Is Ben going to win? All right, here we go. Uh, once again, back to finding my place. Amateur. <laughs> I know, right? Do you know what's funny that I did out in the hallway? I wrote the question. I did not write down the answer, but I know what the answer is. Uh, generally, we have this. On, on, the, on the show, when we do it normally, we have this long, long way of telling you what the answer is. But the answer is, is that the seminars that Joe Dominguez did, that Vicky and Joe did, that they based their principles on, that, that were at the heart of your money or your life, which is really a lot of the reason we're here, there were nine steps in that program, Andrea wins. <laughs> All right, Joe, tell them what they've won. <laughs> you won? Yes, uh, you, just give me your email and we'll get you some swag. Deal? You get to pick your favorite uh, Stacky Benjamins t-shirt. We have a bunch of them. What's funny about Stacky Benjamins t-shirts, the best referral, the best thing anybody ever said about them, you guys know J.D. Roth? Yeah. J.D. Roth said this. He said, I don't give a shit about Stacky Benjamins, <laughs> but, the, but the shirt is so damn comfortable I wear it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm like, whatever it takes to put that. It starts with a comfortable shirt. It does. And before you know it, they're like, maybe I should check that podcast out. Maybe at some point. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Stackers, the show is over, but the party is just beginning here. You know why? Because it's Military Appreciation Month, and we are giving out shout-outs to all of our friends who have served in the military. And let's point uh, the finger right here at our good friend, O.G., who spent time in the military. And of course, we know what a giver he is, even when he pretends like he's being uh, Mr. Surly. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members to help them reach their goals. Visit NavyFederal.org celebrate, and you'll see all their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. They've got all kinds of resources on their site, like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and best careers for military spouses to support military families. So much going on. Just head over to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and take a look at all the Military Appreciation Month offers and their usual offers. Navy Federal, our members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.